The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Well, hey, good morning, good morning, Story City Church. I am so honored to be with you guys here today. And let me just tell you, we love, love, love Story City. We love your pastors. We love Pastor Matt. We love Pastor Tyler. They've been a blessing to our family um, as God has begun to lead us back home to LA to be a part of what his church is doing. So we're just deeply honored to be here today. You know, my family, it's me and my wife. We've been married for 15 years, and uh, uh, I wish that you would get to see her one day. You might, and you'll realize uh, uh, why Matt let me come here. It's probably because of my wife. Uh, I definitely married up, to say the least. But we have two children. Uh, my son, Reese, he's 14 years old. He's already a better man than I am. And we have a daughter. She's 12. She definitely sets the temperature and the agenda for our house. So she's uh, our princess. So uh, we're just excited to be here. You know, as Matt said, uh, God, we felt, was calling us to come back to L.A. And it's interesting that we're here right now during this message because as a church, if you've been following along, we've been going on this journey of what it looks like for the church to be on mission. And literally, that's why our family came here, to be missionaries, a part of what God was doing in the city of L.A. And we're so grateful to do that alongside Story City Church. Well, hey, if you've been following along also, you'll know that last week, Pastor Matt took us through Acts chapter 6. I mean, I love this chapter because the church is kind of, as it's forming, it's at an all-time high. This is about two years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church is just exploding through Jerusalem. It's over 5,000 people. Uh, people are coming to Christ left and right, experiencing the Holy Spirit. And he, he comes out of that and then has me go into chapter 8, which was crazy, right? Because two chapters later, the church is in complete disarray. People are scattered all over the place. Now, I know we're skipping chapter 7, but don't worry, because next week we'll be coming back and going through chapter 7. But for this week, to give you some context, it's going to be different than last week, because something's happened. It says in the beginning of chapter 8, if you want to follow along, we're going to be focusing on verses 4 through 13 today. But for context, verses 1 through 3 basically tell us that a guy that was introduced in the murder of Stephen is a guy named Saul. Later we know him as Paul. But Saul was introduced, and this chapter starts off saying that Saul was a witness to the murder of Stephen, and he agreed completely with it. It said that a great persecution came over the church that day, that all the believers were scattered except for the apostles across the areas of Judea and Samaria. It says that a few devout believers buried, um, buried Stephen and grieved over him, but immediately that the believers began to go and share the gospel. Paul, Saul, excuse me, continued to bring havoc down on the church and dragging men and women out of their house to throw them into prison. And that's what brings us to verse number four that I want to kick off with you guys here today. In verse 4, it says here that the believers who were scattered preached the fake news among, preach, I'm sorry, not the fake news, but it says preach the good news about Jesus wherever they went. 
Many of us today might have said it's fake news, right? Because if you look at it at face value, it looks like all hell is breaking out on the church. How could there possibly be good news? They're, they're in disarray. They're scattered everywhere. They've lost homes. They've lost all sorts of things, their way of life. And listen, like the Samaritans, maybe for many of us right now in this season, it kind of seems like that. It seems like there's more transition going on than ever before. It's interesting that book of Acts really is a transitional book that goes from the old covenant to the new covenant. It's a book of transition and we're in that season as well. Maybe many of us or many of you out there have experienced loss at this time as well. Maybe you've lost your homes. Maybe you've lost family members and loved ones. You've lost relationships. You've lost jobs. Maybe even you lost a sense of identity and purpose. And can you imagine this church at the time? It says in the midst of that, that there was good news, that they began to spread the word of the gospel. Why was that? You know, remember in verse two, it said that they grieved for a moment, but immediately they had good news. What would it look like for us? We had no idea, but that good news was about to have an eternal impact on the whole world. Maybe right now God has really released us from things and painful as it is and grieving as we must, but maybe God has released us from it because there's good news that was going to have an eternal impact on our city. What if today a new identity came into your life? What if today a new purpose came into your life? What if you begin to serve and, and serve under King, the King of Kings? What if the direction and guidance in your life and the purpose came straight from the Lord of Lords, from the Holy Spirit? What if today you have an opportunity to do exactly what you were made to do? And I believe that is true for us, and I believe we can. Let's look at 1 Peter 2 through 5. You may not have the verse up there, but you can go back. It says this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, at Story City, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. That's you. That's me. That means we carry the gift and the responsibility of reaching all of those in our city. Which brings us to our first point, share the gospel, share the gospel. When we go on to verse five, it's gonna give us an example of what that looks like. Here we see Philip, it says, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And see, this is interesting because if you remember last week, Pastor Matt introduced Simon in chapter six when the church was thriving, they selected seven men. One of them was Stephen and one of them was Philip. They were partners. They were in charge of distributing food and compassion type ministries. So, so Philip was Stephen's boy. They were, they were rocking this together. They were serving people, helping people, loving people, ministering to people. As you'll find out next week, and Stephen was martyred, Stephen was killed. So what's interesting is here we are, Philip goes to Samaria and begins to preach the word, but he just saw his boy, Stephen, get murdered. You would think the response is, I'm out of here and I'm shutting my mouth and I'm not saying anything. But the direct opposite happened. What did he see? What did he experience in his brother that shared the gospel and sacrificed for others? Something happened in his heart. Something happened with Philip because he continued on in compassion ministry. 
You know, it says he went to Samaria. Maybe he remembered that Jesus said that the apostles would be his witnesses and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But we know that he went to Samaria. And I believe just like he was doing before, when he began to share the gospel, he did it through a way of compassion ministry. I'm sure he was loving people, uh, feeding people, helping people as he shared the gospel through compassion ministry. I just think it's interesting how nowadays we talk about compassion ministry like an add-on to the church, like something we do separate, like an extra, like we'll get the church together and then we'll do that down the road. But what you see in the scripture is serving one another, loving one another. Compassion ministry was one of the fundamental characteristics of the first unified church. First unified church. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, 32, that the believers were unified, not only in mind, but in heart. That means they didn't just know the word. They didn't just teach the word to one another, but their hearts were led by the spirit. They were filled by the, they were filled by the spirit, which meant they reached out, they helped, they served, they rescued, they did compassion ministry. The gospel encompasses all of it when it comes to the church. They cared for one another. Let's look at what happened in verse six when Philip began to share the gospel. It says that crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. You could underline that word great joy in the city if you like. This brings us to our next point which is to grow in your faith, grow in your faith. After knowing kind of the scenario of Philip, now Philip wasn't just some bachelor. He had four daughters. He had a family. He, he walked away from his home. He left, he left Jerusalem, traveled to Samaritan, which wasn't a nice city compared to people outside of there. But it, but, it, but it said that he went to this place and he began to, began to preach and there was great joy. Why was there great joy when Philip began to preach. I believe the reason there was great joy is because not only did they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says here that they were freed from unclean spirits, which I'm sure involved all kinds of addictions of sorts. I mean, imagine if you or if our city was under unclean spirits, if we're under the oppression of unclean spirits, how might that look on the surface? Maybe addiction, maybe to drugs, maybe to alcohol, maybe to abuse in the family, maybe to pills, maybe to lust, maybe to depression, maybe to anger. You see, we see these things on the surface, but I'm telling you, within the heart, there are deeper things that we are battling here. Those are fleshly sins and those are no, real, no doubt. But I'm telling you, church, that our city is battling deeper things within the heart. Scripture tells us, just like the Samaritans, that this battle that we are fighting is not just of flesh and blood, but a battle of the Spirit. Yes, in the midst of this battle, the Samaritans begin to experience joy. And I believe if our city has hope of joy in times right now where it seems like bad news is everywhere, things are falling apart, just like Samaria, we can experience joy and that joy is found in the gospel. And I believe with all my heart, if we continue as we go forward, that our city will begin to experience that as well. 
It not only says that they experienced joy, but that they listened intently. Man, I love this because nowadays it seems like we're listening more intently than we ever have before. Just without the joy part, right? Man, we we record every word that you say. We're going to listen to what you say. But it's gone from testimonial truth to TV, social media, and relying on third-party fact checkers to see if it's true or not. But this wasn't the case for Philip. It says that they listened intently. It says that they listened intently and that they were eager to see. Eager to see. Underline that word see if you like. I believe right now with everything that's happening in the world that our city, Los Angeles, our families, our neighbors, our children are looking to see what the church is going to do. They're looking to see what the church is doing right now. Now's not a time for us to sit back and wait for the dust to settle and see what we're going to do. Now's not the time for us to wrap our arms around what we have and protect everything because it's falling apart. That's not what the church in Jerusalem did. That's not what the church in Samaria did. And that's definitely not what Jesus did, what God did for you and me. Let's take a look at what God did for you and me. In John 1, 3, it says that in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. God created everything through him. So everything came from the word, everything. The word became flesh, that is Jesus. John 3, 16, Jesus came to save me. I'm sorry, John 1, 4, the word became flesh, that is Jesus. John 3, 16, and Jesus came to save me. So God literally sent everything. He didn't hold back. He didn't wait to see how we were going to turn out. He sent everything to save us. So what must we do? We must come to the conclusion that if we are saved, that if we accepted Jesus into our life, then the very things that God has done in us, he now during this time more than ever wants to do through us as he is doing in Philip. Let's look at John 14, 12. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the work I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. But this is LA, you don't understand. And time and time again, I hear, but this is LA, it's hard here. There's all these different people groups. There's all these different religions, and they just kind of take everything, and whatever works for you and whatever you believe in, that's okay. This isn't some small little town in the desert like Samaria. Well, if you look closer, Samaria is anything but that. Los Angeles and Samaria are a lot closer than you think. Samaria was a thriving city with all kinds of different people groups of different religions merging together. And Samaria, just like Los Angeles in all her beauty, was under extreme oppression from unclean spirits and false prophets. Let's take a look at verse 9. It says that a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had them astonished with his magic. It's interesting. Another name for Simon the sorcerer is Simon the Magi. 
And what is a Magi? Do you remember when Jesus was born, those three wise men went to take Jesus, jewels and, and silver? Those were Magi's. Okay, they looked to the stars and they spoke to spirits for direction in their life. And unfortunately, this very day, many of us still do the same thing. We open up our phones and we go straight to what? We look to those horoscopes. We look to the stars. We look to the horoscopes for direction in our life. We, we talk to mediums. We talk to mediums that tell us about our relationships with others. Why would you talk to a Nobody orders a medium in restaurants. We always go for the large. It was, it was funnier when I told my wife. But, but, but we go to mediums looking for direction. Don't do it. Flee from it. Stay away from it. We don't go to, go to mediums for direction. We don't go to the stars for direction in our life. We go to the creator. We go to the one that placed the stars in the sky. We don't seek the created for direction. We get direction and guidance from the actual creator himself. Let me give you an example of how we get swayed into this unintentionally. About 10 years ago, me and my family were living in Las Vegas. It was actually, I just became a pastor. We're living in Las Vegas. One of my cousins that was living here in Los Angeles at the time had become a proclaimed medium, a psychic. Now, she knew that I didn't agree with everything that she believed and what she said, but I loved her nevertheless, but I avoided many conversations with her because I didn't know what to do. I had just become a pastor. We're in Los Angeles, and a dear friend of mine, a family that actually convinced us to move up there, their son tragically died at the age of 16 years old. This would be my godson. This particularly broke my heart because I've known him. I held him since he was a baby. He was struggling with a pill addiction, so his family turned to the church, turned to me for help. So he'd been coming to church with us every Friday night. We did a recovery program. I would pick him up, bring him to church. But one day he ended up coming to church high. He was under the influence. And instead of loving him, I rebuked him for it. I told him that it's not okay what he's doing, that if he continued this behavior, that he was going to end up losing his life. I told him that he was embarrassing our family and embarrassing the church by continually coming to church under the influence and that if he continued this way, he could not come back to church. So I literally put him in his mom's car, told her to take him home and don't bring him back till he is sober. Would you know that two weeks later he died? That was one of the last times he ever came to church and it broke my heart. I began to struggle for the next couple of months that it was my fault because he actually died and passed away on a Friday night, a night that I typically picked him up and brought him to the church. But I had forgot about him and got busy and I didn't call him and I moved to Hun. And that Saturday morning, I got a call and my godson was dead. I was a pastor for two weeks. My first official job was to do my godson's funeral. And the one question I had more than anything is, does he know that I love him? Because our last conversation, I'm not sure that he did. So it was eating me up inside. Of course, I told nobody about it because I didn't want anyone to think bad of me. So here we are a couple months later. We go to our friend's house, the parents of the child who died. And my cousin, a mutual friend, calls them up. Had no idea that I was there. She calls them up. They answer the phone and she says, is Daryl there? Which was kind of freaky, right? Because she had no idea I was there. Is Daryl there? Would you put him on the phone? I have a message for him. Now, maybe it was my vulnerability. Maybe it was my pride or my curiosity. 
But I thought, I'll talk to her. And I don't really have to listen to what she says or accept it into my life, but I want to hear what she says so I can discredit her, right? Little did I know that as soon as I put that phone to my head, I would hear words that would rock me to the core for many months to come. I picked up the phone and she said, Daryl, I spoke to Christian and he wants you to know that it's not your fault and that he knows that you love him. He knows that you love him and he loves you too. I dropped the phone, I ran outside and I began to weep and cry. Some of you might think, well, Daryl, that sounds like a good thing. Wasn't that the healing you were looking for? Wasn't that the answer you were looking for? Man, here's the problem. Here's the problem is that the Bible says that it's dangerous. The Bible has a word for it. It's called neo-romancy, necoromancy. It means speaking to the dead. And the Bible says don't do it because you don't know who you're talking to on the other side. You don't know who you're inviting into your life. Listen, just because something on the other side knows something about your family does not mean they are your family. Don't do it. When we lean into that, we open ourselves up to spiritual manipulation and direction from a spirit that is not of God. But Daryl, weren't you healed from that? Let me give you an example. Literally 48 hours later, I was facing death straight in the eyes. 48 hours later, I was in a dispute with a guy, with a mechanic, over a car, over ridiculous items. The dispute got so elevated, it quickly turned into a gun being pressed against my forehead and a guy telling me that I will kill you. 48 hours later, Pastor Daryl has a gun to his head. And of all the things I could think about, my wife, my kids, my family, of all the words that I could have said, three words came out of my mouth that I'm still shocked to this day. I whispered, pull the trigger. And then I spoke louder and I said, pull the trigger. And at the top of my lungs, I said, pull the trigger. And in that moment, the guy pulled the gun back and he said, you have lost your mind. And he was right. In that moment, I knew I was no longer being directed and guided by the Spirit of God. Something else was guiding me in that moment. I went from having a relationship with the Lord to telling someone to pull the trigger. I got in my car and I cried. I went straight to church and I had some brothers come around me and as I began to confess the last two weeks, they prayed over me. If we look to John 1, 4, it says this, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Don't believe everyone. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God for there are many false prophets in the world. Thank God, Philip, came to Samaria during that time because they were captivated under the same stuff. And as our city is being swayed by all kinds of agendas, I believe God sees his people hurting and is calling to the church to come and join in the gospel mission. Verse 12 gives a picture of what it might look like if we do. It says that, but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip's performed. Church, just in a few seconds, we see Philip going from feeding people to sharing the gospel 
to having the Holy Spirit move in miraculous ways like never before. This is a picture of our faith growing. And listen, when it grows, the Holy Spirit always does three things in your life. It leads you deeper in these three areas. Number one, it leads you to trust God more. It leads you to trust God more. Number two, it leads you to love others better. And number three, it uniquely, uniquely leads you to share the gospel with someone near to you. If we were to continue through 14 through 25, we would see that Simon ended up being a false prophet, maybe even the first false convert. And so we begin to think, why did Philip waste his time on him? Why did he bother doing that? What was going on through him? Which brings us to our last point. Find joy in the gospel mission. Experience joy in the gospel mission. I want to just end with this last story of my son. My son Reese, he's 14 now. He was, when he was eight years old, he came to me and said, Dad, I'm ready to be baptized. And of course, we are full of joy and ecstatic, his mother and I. But like we always do when a child gets baptized, we want them, we say, we want you to write out what your experience was with God or what happened or why is it that you want to get baptized today? And here's what my son wrote. He wrote, at school, my best friend was making bad choices, saying bad words and kicking other people. I told him that what he was doing was not nice. I can't be friends with you anymore. When I got home, I was sad. My heart was broken to lose my best friend. So the next day, I asked him to forgive me and be my friend again. I'm getting baptized because I want to love people no matter what they do, just like Jesus loves me. Church, when we give up on people or when we refuse for whatever reason to participate in the gospel purpose, I believe it robs us of joy. Not only does it hurt other people, not only does it hurt our city, I believe that it hurts our relationship with God. We know Philip was faithful. We know he was full of the Spirit. We know he was full of wisdom. There's no doubt he probably doubted Simon's motives. There's no doubt he disagreed with the things that he did. There's no doubt that he probably knew he was in it for himself. But Simon, because of his understanding of the gospel, his relationship with God and his heart for lost and broken people, he chose to minister to him. He chose to put his arm and bring him in. He chose to share the gospel to him. He chose to even baptize him through the whole process. He never avoided him. He brought him into the inner circle and he loved him anyways. And I believe in that tension, he experienced extreme joy. I believe they all did. So in closing church, we want to do three things. We want to share the gospel. We want to grow in our faith. And we want our city to experience joy through the gospel mission. Listen, if you're watching today and maybe you're like, that sounds great. I've never really have experienced that in my life. 
And if you haven't accepted Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today. So if you would, I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads with me and right where you are, just simply repeat these words right after me. God, I thank you that your never-ending love came for us. God, I confess my need for you. God, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Would you fill my heart with your spirit as I follow you in the gospel mission? In your son's name, amen. Well, hey, Story City, if you've made that church or one of you guys that out there, please message us and let us know as we would love to come alongside you and talk about some next steps.